Hello, and welcome to a Mind Matters podcast presented by A Light for Change, where we talk about the who, what, where, and how we as a community can make positive changes. The win is up to all of us, and it starts with you. Before I start, let's get into a positive zone, and I'll share my thoughts on a question from Graduate Thrivers Paz Cards. The card drawn is yellow for forethought, and the question is, what would you like to stop doing? I would like to stop being so hard on myself and stop holding myself back so I can start allowing myself to reach my potential. This is Season 1, Mental Health, Episode 6, Mindfulness, Relaxation, and Leisure. So far this season, we have learned the basics of mental health and how it affects us. Taking in some techniques to manage distress, reflected on how our identities are formed, and discovered how to unlock our thoughts so that we are in control instead of our traumas, which is undoubtedly making you see yourself in a whole new way, if not seeing everything a little bit different altogether. Let's talk about how to be mindful so you can enjoy this more insightful side of yourself and how to find more of yourself in your downtime so you can learn to make more of your productive time and make it more meaningful to you. Let's start with what it means to be mindful. While it's defined as the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something, as well as a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations used as a therapeutic technique. This is not the same as meditating, though it is a form of meditation, and meditation is a technique for being mindful. It's about being present in the moment to moment, noticing the here and now, while inactively keeping the mind and all other aspects of yourself in your life. There are three parts to being mindful. First, observing the moment, second, being in the moment, and lastly, avoiding judgment. Observing the moment means being aware of the environment and what you're thinking about. Notice the thoughts and feelings and letting them be like a cloud passing overhead instead of thinking about the storm that the cloud might be. Mindfulness is noticing how the moment engages with your senses and the flow in which it is done. Recording the environment may be at first with your hand pretending to hold a camera and seeing what you didn't see while in the moment and then pretend trying to add different perspective lenses to that camera. You can try thinking of how a bird would see nature or how would a tourist see my town or any perspective you find fitting to the moment you are in. Notice what's around you. Are there other people interacting in the moment? And what is their role? What is the climate like? What is the energy like? Are there objects you can see? And what do they look like? Is your space confined? Or are things spaced out and open? Is there lots of movement? And so forth. There are grounding exercises that can help us remember our connections to the small things that complete the big picture taking slow breaths, splashing some water on your face, 
sipping a cool drink of water through a straw, acknowledging five things that you see around you, four things that you can touch around you, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. Holding a cold can or bottle, like a soft drink in your hands, doing something soothing and tactile, tracing the horizon with your fingers, using the non-dominant hand, and notice how different it is to do things, particularly if it's an automatic activity, and calling out your thought and then letting it be. Stop and look around to calm your thoughts, ground yourself back to somewhat relaxed so that you can be in the moment. There are two realms of your involvement with being in the moment. Mindfulness of the body, which is noticing the environment and the effect it plays on the body and how your senses are reacting to what is happening around you. And thought control, which is sitting with the feeling until it passes to observe the present moment. Sitting with the emotion, training your mind to just be present and not analyzing the moment while it is in action. Mindfulness of the body is easier for me to explain in examples, but I believe the general concept is just to take it all in. You can breathe mindfully. Breath is part of our every movement and something we can notice and quantify. We can detect the flow of our breath or the movement of our diaphragm. It helps in noticing that our mind has wandered and give ourselves a target to being back in the moment by focusing on your breath. You can do something mindful like walking, where you notice the sounds, textures, temperatures, colors, and feelings, and focus on the muscle itself and how it flexes. Eating can also be mindful by noticing the texture of the food, the smell of the food, how it reacts in your mouth, what flavors it expels, how it combines with the other foods, the pattern by which you eat. You can start by making a habit out of doing small things mindfully and then train yourself to layer on other mindful tasks, continuing until you find yourself just taking it all in. Ask yourself things like how you can wash the dishes in a more mindful way or how you can approach things that leave you feeling stressed in a more mindful way. Even how to mindfully center a wandering thought so you can start to find activities more soothing than stressful. According to my resiliency workbook, the easiest way to begin practicing mindfulness is to focus on your breathing. When we are mindful of our breathing, it helps us to calm the body and the mind. It gives our mind one thing to keep track of rather than a whole range of things that are otherwise going through the mind. Then we are able to be aware of our thoughts and feelings with more calmness. They even quote psychologist John Kabat-Zinn and his book, Full Catastrophe Living, where he writes, the idea is to be aware of the sensations that accompany your breathing at that moment. Doing this, we feel the air as it flows in and out past the nostrils. We feel the movement of the muscles associated with breathing. We feel the belly as it moves in and out as well. Paying attention to your breath means just paying attention. Nothing more. It doesn't mean you should push or force your breathing or try to make it deeper or change its pattern or rhythm. However, my workbook also mentions common mistakes. There is no need to control your breathing just because you have started paying attention to it. 
Focusing on breathing does not mean thinking about breathing. It means being aware of your breathing and to feel the sensations associated with it. The third layer is not judging, which is the same as sitting with the thought and allowing an external factor to be what it is and not what you perceive it to be. This is the act of unlocking your thoughts and you may need time to process through things. It is okay to politely excuse yourself from a moment by saying this has been a lot of information to take in and I need a moment to process or I would like a moment to gather my thoughts so I can present my response or ideas productively. Any phrase will do as long as it's polite and not dismissing the topic, just deferring it like calling for recess in a court case. Judging a moment is allowing your mind to fill in the blanks on small uncertainties that are beyond your control and not necessarily meant for your understanding. I am guilty of judging a moment on so many occasions, which is funny because I am the least judgmental person regarding others. I tend to overread things like tone, inflection, body language, attention levels, and wording choices, thinking they reflect how another perceives me and thereby forms a judgmental opinion of me, resulting in me profusely apologizing needlessly. I find it very defeatist because even the slightest flinch of my husband's eyebrow has me backpedaling no matter how confident I am going into the conversation. More so if I was already going in prepared for conflict, like when I have to say no to a requested expense or tell him the kids broke something and it needed to be fixed. I am naturally very critical of myself and push myself like a slave driver, which I am slowly learning with my support team to reduce, but it means I assume others will criticize me in like form. I work so hard to ensure satisfaction under any task or function that even the smallest critique is like a knife through my heart. My behavior is hard to classify outside of the judgment aspect, as it seems to be a need for acceptance, yet I am perfectly okay with being my own unique self around others, or when I'm alone. I quite enjoy my alone time and find it very productive. You could say it is a drive for perfection, as I tend to perfect everything I do, but I am okay not being good at things too. I openly admit to being adequate at best when it comes to cleaning, and it often is the first thing I drop when my day gets too busy or I have a lot to think about. I do the daily basics like dishes, laundry, sweeping, and wiping the counters, but I tend to let the rest pile up on me at times. I have learned to enjoy times when I can clean mindfully, like spring cleaning, because I'm left alone to go at it for a day or two. But I'm trying to practice doing it with the weekly maintenance chores as well, like cleaning in and under the fridge or getting into the corners behind things, which currently leaves me angry and disappointed in my family's, including myself's, behavior. Seriously, I would love to hear others' parents' ideas on how some messes even make it in those unreachable spots. Like, do they have a flash-style food fight and clean it up in the blink of an eye, but miss that spot on the ceiling above the bookshelf I found when I was dusting? I'm sure I will never really know what drives me to self-efface, but for the most part, it has driven me to gain many diverse experiences in life, lending to a vast repertoire of understandings. 
but has also held me back from achieving my potential and put big strain on my relationships by setting the bar too high for myself to maintain and always being worried if I'm good enough. Mindfulness is one of those easier said than done things. I'm not going to lie. It takes a lot of willingness to let go of your habitual safety behaviors. You're going to dedicate to even more practice from controlled moments on your own time to real time stressful moments. You're going to go through a roller coaster of emotions and some will be incredibly difficult to sit through and try to understand, especially if you're used to repressing, distorting, or distracting yourself from the realities of painful things. You're going to have to expose yourself in small doses to hard things on purpose to prepare yourself for the big game. The unavoidable, potentially traumatizing moments in life. After hearing the terms mental health, first aid, and emotional hygiene, and discussing what they mean in therapy, it is usually prompted that you build a list of self-soothing items or activities you can make into a kit of sorts, so you can manage to get back to the calm present moment. It could include a stress ball, pictures, scents, reminders for breathing exercises, music, mantra signs, pressure point touches, small things, little notebooks, um, things geared to feeling the physical sensation, grounding activity cue cards, or anything else that works for you. Sounds easy, right? But how can you bring your toolkit into a stressful environment? I mean, stress balls and activity cards, there's no that way that will fly up in a grown-up workplace, right? Wrong. It's all about communication and proven proper usage. We have the right to be in an inclusive and accommodating environment, as long as we don't take advantage of that privilege. It is very important to communicate from the first-person personal point of view without the implication of demand or blame, while expressing that you can understand their perspective and role purpose within the conversation. A need for accommodation is almost always going to be considered a liability to a company at some level, even if it's just ensuring what I'm going to call the Pringles effect doesn't happen. I might be aging myself here, but you might remember the commercial with the slogan, if I give you one, I'm going to have to give one to everyone else. Have some flexibility and allow room in your preconceived notion of a conversation to negotiate a win-win for the company and yourself. You will also have to come up with terms and come to terms, sorry, with your vulnerabilities and clearly express parts of your condition and maybe even how they came about. There is a law saying we don't have to put to our vulnerabilities out there, but keep in mind not communicating your side allows others to fill in the blanks for their uncertainties and can often leave people not understanding why you deserve the right and when we all live in the same messed up world and thinking the rest of us have to toughen up, why can't you, buttercup? We are all responsible for letting them know it is okay for them to understand how their own mind ticks and that you would be more than willing to share your story and journey 
to being able to handle the world a little bit better. And you've been through some of the things that would cut the bravest man at the knee. By man in this statement, be clear. If needed, it means human, not gender. But put in any word that makes you feel comfortable, even creature, if that's what floats your boat. My resiliency workbook has this to say about introducing mindfulness into the workplace. It does not prevent conflict or challenges, but when difficult issues arise, practicing mindfulness can improve your ability to tolerate and manage these challenging situations. You may be more likely to recognize when stressors are increasing, increase your stress tolerance, expand your attention and memory, and find meaning in everyday interactions in the workplace. It is rare that you will be given time to reflect on a moment after a moment has caused you distress, so you will likely have to put a pin in it for later processing. When I reach my scheduled reflection time, which I intentionally put in the evening after supper, but long before bedtime, I like to sit by the fire or answer questions from the positive attitude zone cards that I open and close these products, these podcasts with each week. Before I get into thinking of the ABCs of my distress and locking my thoughts of the day, I like to end that time by choosing an activity choice card from a deck I made myself with all the different grounding activities that unify and center my mind, body, and soul. Many of you may be listening to this podcast, like most of us, binge a Netflix season. But for those of you who are taking the time to really process the information, from episode through each week, you may be finding you are slowly freeing up some of your mind space and wanting to learn a bit more of who you are as a happy person. Maybe it's not about having a beautiful day, but about finding beautiful moments. Maybe a whole day is just too much to ask. I could choose to believe that in every day, in all things, no matter how dark and ugly, They are shades of beautiful if I look for them. That is a quote by Anna White. Before we go adding activities to try or spending time just practicing mindfulness for hours, you should give your mind a chance to rest and recuperate to make sure that sleep is a healthy part of your daily routine. According to my resiliency workbook, having good quality sleep is important for our bodies and minds. Understanding how we sleep can help us develop or discover strategies to improve our quality of sleep. Over the course of the night, we generally move in and out of different stages of sleep. Some stages are important for letting our bodies rest and recover. Other stages help us sort out the information we learned during the day. As we move through different stages, sometimes we wake for a few moments. This is normal. The important thing is that your sleep time is long enough for your body to go through the various stages of sleep. These stages are stage one, light sleep, stage two, beginning of true sleep, stage three and four, slow wave sleep, stage five, rapid eye movement sleep, or REM as many know it. There are two processes which occur in the body that help regulate our sleep-wake schedule. First is the circadian rhythm, also known as our biological or internal clock. It is linked to the 24-hour light-dark cycle that regulates processes in the body, including temperature, hormones, 
and most importantly, our sleep patterns. Secondly is the sleep load pressure, an internal countdown timer. It reminds the body of its need to sleep. The longer we have been awake, the stronger the desire and need to sleep becomes. The opposite is also true the longer we have been asleep. The pressure to remain asleep decreases and the likelihood of waking increases. Napping during the day can cause your sleep pressure to reduce. Our body has needs that must be met in order to fall asleep. These include slowed heart rate, drop in blood pressure, drop in body temperature, slowed breathing rate, no tension, and relaxed muscles. Ways to improve sleep, or what is considered enough sleep, is different for everyone. Some people need more than others. If you ever are having a hard time sleeping, there are some techniques you can try to improve your quality of sleep. These include having regular sleep schedules, trying to get out of bed at the same time daily, creating a good sleep environment, no TV or other screens in the bedroom, meditating, relaxing to prepare for sleep, having a bedtime routine, exercising during the day, reducing your activity levels about 60 to 90 minutes before bed, have a warm bath, save your bedroom for sleep only, only go to bed once you are sleepy, try to reduce naps, if you must, the nap should be less than 45 minutes and before 3 p.m. Navigate sleep thoughts you might be experiencing, which are some of the following negative thoughts towards sleep. Some examples include, I did not sleep a wink last night. I must get eight hours of sleep. I am dreading bedtime. Why does sleep some come so easily for others, but not me? I can't sleep without a sleeping pill. It can be helpful to recognize and replace our negative sleep thoughts with ones that are more positive. Some examples of more positive thoughts towards sleep include, I always fall back asleep sooner or later. I need less sleep than I thought. My sleep will be improving as I learn new techniques. I can relax, rest, and meditate even if I don't sleep. Try to address one thing that is possibly affecting your sleep at a time. It is often too hard to force yourself to just take on a healthy sleep pattern. Sleep improvement can also include changing the environment to be more calming and have less things that keep our brain sending alternate ways instead of low, slow delta waves. Audio has been proven to aid in bringing the brain waves to a delta wave, such as bitonal beats or auditory entertainment. This is an impact that sounds on the degree of motion. Bird songs increase happiness, traffic sounds increase depression, white noise, fans, Trains and plane sounds have a rhythmic pattern that aid relaxation. Having a routine adds to the brain's habitual patterns that can signal to the brain that it is time for sleep. Give yourself time to turn off. Sleep time is when we process, heal, and communicate with our inner self, often referred to as the soul communication, 
and sometimes considered the voice of God. But scientifically, it is when the pituitary master gland is most active. Just achieving a state of relaxation when you need more rest but can't fit in more sleep or when you notice signs of the following stress kicking in can just be as effective as sleep. Headaches, dizziness, clenching jaw, teeth grinding, chest pain or tightness, fluttering feelings in the heart, shortness of breath, shallowing breath, rapid breathing, tight muscles, muscle tension, neck pain, back pain, nausea, vomiting, heartburn, indigestion, cramps, diarrhea, constipation, shaking, trembling, hand tremors, clenched fists, restlessness, hyperactivity, or feeling hyper, trouble with sleep, falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking early, feeling tired and weakness, change in appetite, eating more or less, increase in other health problems such as migraines, colitis, ulcers, asthma, symptoms for which there is no explanation, sometimes called somatic, constant fear or worry, imagining the worst, poor concentration, forgetfulness, difficulty making decisions, decreased sense of humor, mind racing and drawing blanks, confusion where there is no need, thinking in the past with criticism for yourself, negative thoughts about yourself, family, work, or hobbies, self-criticism or being sensitive to criticism, ruminating or constant worry, anxiety and fear, nervousness that seems unnecessary, depressed sadness that came in like a wave, feeling irritable or impatient, indifference, feeling overwhelmed, fidgeting, pacing, and restlessness, smoking, drinking alcohol, and using mood-altering drugs, if you are nail-biting, foot-tapping, jiggling knees, if you find yourself blaming, yelling, swearing, and name-calling, crying, or feeling as if you are on the verge of tears, thoughts of self-harm or suicidal thoughts, that is when it's time to put relax relaxation techniques into practice. Why is relaxation important? According to my resiliency workbook, relaxation is different for everyone. It can change. It can range from reading alone or taking part in a physical activity. What does relaxation look like for you? I'm not very good at relaxing, but I find reading and going on a learning journey for the sake of wonder when I have a good chunk of time to relax. Very enjoyable. I also enjoy music and giving myself a massage while using breath work to get into a more focused meditative state. When I only have a short time to center myself, I like to sit in a half-filled hot bath while I let the lukewarm shower cascade over my head, shoulders and back, focusing on the sound and feeling of the water when I am at home in my evenings. According to my resiliency workbook, relaxation is important and it helps us manage day-to-day -day stress. The body is not able to feel stressed and relaxed at the same time. This is why relaxation skills can be so important to learn. If you are able to reach levels of relaxation, you will not feel stressed. Aiding relaxation in your body during your daily routine is an important part of stress management in the workplace and at home. Practicing breathing exercises on breaks, lunch times, and throughout your day 
can help the mind and body to relax, allowing you to focus on your duties. As you develop and improve your breathing and other calming relaxation strategies through regular practice and build them into your daily routine, they will be there as a tool when you need during the times of increased stress. Sometimes, however, we do not recognize increased stress until it is impacting us more significantly. Being able to recognize our personal signs, thoughts, or body sensations can help us use a coping strategy earlier and have better results. Practicing relaxation techniques can have many benefits such as slowing the heart rate, lowering blood pressure, slowing your breathing rate, improving digestion, controlling blood sugar levels, reducing activity of stress hormones, increasing blood flow to major muscles, reducing muscle tension and chronic pain, improving focus and mood, mood, sorry, improving sleep quality, lowering fatigue, reducing anger and frustration, boosting confidence to handle problems as well. In general, relaxation techniques involve refocusing your attention on something calming and increasing awareness of your body. It doesn't matter which relaxation technique you choose. What matters is that you try to practice relaxation regularly to reap its benefits. There are three types of relaxation techniques outlined by the Mayo Clinic as follows. Autogenic relaxation, which means something that comes from within you. In this relaxation technique, you use both visual imagery and body awareness to reduce stress. You repeat words or suggestions in your mind that may help you relax and reduce muscle tension. For example, you may imagine a peaceful setting. Then you can focus on relaxing your breathing, slowing your heart rate, and feeling a different physical sensation, such as relaxing each arm or leg one by one. Progressive muscle relaxation, relaxation is a technique you focus on slowly tensing then relaxing each muscle group. This can help you focus on the difference between muscle tension and relaxation. You can become more aware of physical sensations. In one method of progressive muscle relaxation, you start by tensing and relaxing the muscles in your toes and progressively working your way up to your neck and head. This is best done in a quiet area without interruptions. You can also start with your head and neck and work down to your toes. Tense your muscles for about 5 seconds, then relax for about 30 seconds and repeat. Visualization is a relaxation technique you may, where you form mental images to take a visual journey to a peaceful, calming place or situation. To relax using visualization, try to include as many senses as you can, such as smell, sight, sound, and touch. If you can imagine relaxing at the ocean, for instance, think about the smell of the salt water, the sound of the crashing waves, and the warmth of the sun on your body. You may want to close your eyes, sit in a quiet spot, loosen any tight clothing, and focus on your breathing. Aim to focus on the present and think of positive thoughts. Just stepping away from something stressful for a few minutes or taking time away from your normal routines and thoughts can give you enough space and distance to feel calmer. Or you can try any of these activities which 
fit into one or all of the above categories. Read a book or magazine, even if it's only for a few minutes. Run yourself a bath. Watch a film. Play with a pet. Or try a new recipe. Deep breathing. Massages and meditation. Tai Chi. Yoga. Biofeedback. Music and art therapy. Aromatherapy. And soaking in the sun. Meditation is currently the most socially talked about form of relaxing. Though most people are unaware of the various forms of meditating. There is breathing meditation, which is the act of focusing on your breath by choosing the breath rate and hold rate pattern and feeling the diaphragm move, the lungs fill and deflate, and the way the breath sounds and feels as it passes through your mouth. Intentional focus meditation is the act of choosing one thing to focus on. It can be an object or a sound, and try blurring out and letting the rest of the environment or sounds melt away. Sensory inventory meditation is the act of sitting and focusing in on a question that involves your senses, like what can I hear, see, smell, touch, and taste in my environment. Movement meditation like Tai Chi, yoga, and hand and brain exercises are the act of making small intentional movements that stimulate system activity and coordinate the brain to the body. Mantra meditation is the act of repeating a phrase or sound and focusing on the resonation that it creates. Sensory influence or deprivation meditation is the act of increasing or decreasing things that impact our senses to a significant degree. This could be sitting in complete darkness or silence. It could be filling a room with naturally scented candles, or it could even be playing in a snoozle den or multi-sensory room. I would suggest refraining from food restrictions as a meditation measure unless you are a faith devotee. Food manipulation should be reserved for the mindfulness practice and dietary needs as prescribed by a nutritionist. Music, nature, or resonant sound meditation is the act of concentrating on how a sound moves or interacts with the environment and other sounds, allowing to create an image in your mind that dances and plays along with the sound. This can be done with melodies that focus on frequency, instrumentals, listening to nature in real time, recordings of natural sounds, listening to animal sounds, using sound bowls, and focusing on a sound that creates a repetitive rhythm. Even listening to your partner or pet snore in a mindful way can be a form of meditating if you consider it in the right perspective. Stillness meditation is the most difficult in my mind to achieve and likely requires practicing the other forms in training to do this. Stillness is the act of not thinking not focusing on anything, turning out all sounds, slowing and shallowing your breath so much your chest barely moves, and maintaining one position without any movement for prolonged durations. It is as close to being asleep as you can when awake, allowing you to think from within and activate your pituitary. Lowering your physical and mental state to being relaxed is not the only way to combat stress, anxiety, and the wear and tear of surviving negative impacts all day, every day, just living life. 
the conditions creates a set of chemicals known as cortisol, the main human stress hormone. Catecholamines such as adrenaline and norepinephrine and vasopressin that has its equal opposites known as serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins that can be used to create balance. Leisure is a time that something we are all granted but often don't make the most of. It is that eight hours between work and sleep that you can fill in whatever way you want. Most of us fill this time with more of what we regard as responsibilities, but it is meant to be your time to fill with things that make you happy. Your happiness will look different than everyone else's, and there will be parts that other people will think should make you miserable or is inappropriate in some way. Happiness is a matter of perspective. Yes, running around taking your kids to all their activities is a responsibility if you think of it like that, but spending time with your kids makes you happy. Then this is what you should tell yourself and make it even better by being in the moment as you watch them play. Follow along as they learn moves so you can encourage them and guide them in practice. According to my resiliency workbook, leisure can be defined as an activity you enjoy or take pleasure in. Leisure is doing things you want to do instead of the things you have to do. This can look different for everyone and conclude any of the following. Quiet recreation like reading puzzles, reading, doing puzzles, independent gameplay, watching movies, and so forth. Hobbies like sewing, scrapbooking, gardening, and building furniture. Physical activity like sports and walking. Interaction like random topic conversation. Interactive games or activities, and synchronized activities. Indulgences like eating, drinking, and relaxant or stimulant use. Socializing, resting, meditation, listening to music, and laying on the beach. Expressing such as writing, painting, singing, or drawing. Presenting like photography, dancing, blogs, podcasts, and social influencing. Why is leisure important? Leisure is an important part of leading a balanced lifestyle. How you spend your time contributes to your happiness. Engaging in activities that you enjoy and are interested in helps you build resiliency and is part of stress management. It can also improve your physical and mental health. Don't choose leisure to distract from the bad. Choose it because it makes you happy. That doesn't mean don't do the activities you tend to choose to take the edge off, it means do those activities in a way that gives you ongoing joy or pleasure. A little bit of anything is okay, but if you are dependent on something to feel good, it is having the wrong effect. What you do in your leisure time to lend to feeling good after the moment is gone. I am sure we all have heard the saying Nothing in life comes free, so of course there are barriers to leisure as well. You may experience a variety of perceived barriers that influence your ability to participate in activities you enjoy. These could include things like cost, time, energy, society and personal interests or mindsets, other people's perspective and proposed use of your time, 
and entangled, entangled relationship scheduling, like when you have a family. Find things that check off as many boxes so that you can schedule and fit it all in, getting creative, engaging your entangled relationships into, and showing people how it brings you joy despite their opinion. Once you have an idea of what you would like to do, don't start counting out what you can't do or what you don't have time for, but now think of how you can take part in what you enjoy doing with what you are able to do. We live in a disposable world these days, and despite the increase in real and reselling since this huge cost of living increase, you can still be, see many things you could revamp for your needs tossed out to the curb. If you need wood to build something, commercial districts are always tossing skids and shipping crates, and most wood yards have scrap bins out front. Nature gives us a free gym with rocks and log weights, mountains to climb, paths to run, trees to climb up and pull up on its limbs. Nature gives us more than exercise equipment, though. You can puzzle rocks together and arrange shades into a picture. It gives places to rest and soak in the sun. It makes music to tantalize our senses and grows magic from its soil. Time and energy required to do an activity are the, a thing of perspective and finding ways to make the best of every moment you occupy. The trinity of time occupation is self-care, leisure, and productivity, which you should divide the load into eight hours each. Except there is a problem. More than 75% of us are, focused, are forced to throw the balance out of whack. Now, because we all have different schedules, I'm going to reflect weekly, not daily. Middle-class members of society have no choice to increase productivity from 56 hours to earn a salary, go to appointments, run errands, and do chores alike to 72 hours a week. All members of society are left little option but to add 16 hours a week to the granted 56 hours for self-care and grooming, fitness, and mental processing because sleep takes the whole 56 hours. Now let's consider the fact that we spend an average of 14 hours a week commuting and suddenly are granted 56 hours that we can do what we want in with things that make us happy drops down to 10 hours a week. I haven't even added in social needs and entangled relationships. What can we do to keep our minds and bodies from collapsing under these conditions? Well, we have to get even more creative. Add some determined dedication and build up our juggling and negotiating skills. We have to change our perspective to find joy and alternative functions to those things we feel we have to do, whether we want to or not. I ask people how they balance their schedule all the time. I'm sure I have asked many thousands of people by now, and I have er heard all kinds of answers. Some people say they always move their bodies with intention, so they are essentially doing calisthenics from morning to night. Some say they keep their socializing to people with common interests, so they merge two leisure functions together. 
some sacrifice from one section to give to another, usually choosing to reduce their sleep. I was guilty of this for almost six years, giving myself only no more than four hours of sleep a night until my therapist set a homework plan for me to get that back to a healthy amount after I had my breakdown. I really hope I don't revert to sacrificing sleep when I'm permitted to return back to work next month. The most common creative use of my time is turning leisure into productivity. Being on mental health leave may seem to onlookers with the saying, oh, how nice, you get to just sit around all day and get free money, but it's not like that at all. We spend our time learning to like life enough to want to live again, and that free money is pennies compared to the cost of living. I learned to discover what I enjoyed doing, like crafting and gardening, both of which I promptly found ways to turn into a business once I have spent a bit of time perfecting and healing. I can use as a secondary income once I get used to putting back in my eight hours for the system. I also find helping others and community service really makes me feel happy. So I have fit that in to my long-term plan as well in the form of an inclusive community development program that produces a model of businesses that can operate with mentally healthy conditions for all patron, and employee. The next three limitations to including leisure in your life all relate to how other people impact our lives. Remember, leisure is time that's supposed to be time to do what you want to do when it comes to others and your time. You need to make a choice to care and accommodate and not care and omit. Mm -hmm. Society has this way of creating common mindsets. For example, Public freeform dancing is for young folks, even performing dancing to a large degree. These mindsets alter our opinion of what we think we are allowed to enjoy, and if you don't enjoy what is acceptable, you should leave yourself joyless. I say that is a load of crock. Enjoy yourself anyways, and put up a boundary on how you let people's judgment get to you. If they don't want to have joy, that's their choice and their burden to live with, not yours. This brings me to how others think you should spend your time, which the severity of effects depends on how many people you consider important enough to care, to accommodate for, and how much they mean to you. If you are young and independent like a teenager, your family often has a lot to say about how you choose to spend your time. They are not wrong for their concern, as it comes from a place of love, but what is missing is the amicable approach from both sides. Try to understand and show them you have considered what they have to say, while also productively communicating your side and showing them how you have chosen a way to fill your time that lends to joy that lasts beyond the moment, as well as some instant gratification. As young adults, that bond grows apart and reduces. The influencers on your time to choose bases themselves on those you consider friends. This is a tricky one with its two sides of consideration. On one hand, if they can't accept you for who you are, 
then you have to question if they are really your friends. But on the other hand, there's a lot to say about saying yes to adventure and new experiences. So it comes, again, it comes down to your choice and your willingness to accept that what, that it was your choice to have the experience and learn from it, whether the outcome is good or bad. I want to take a second to talk about the quality versus quantity when it comes to your social life. I can tell you from personal experience that having a large amount of people you consider worthy of your time, attention, and care, you end up neglecting a lot of them because there are just not enough days that you can make time to visit. Every year I meet new and amazing people who I allow to leave a big fingerprint in my memory banks that I wish to keep them in my life and continue growing and experiencing life together. However, each year, my path continues to grow and I rarely in the same direction or pace as my peers, which brings me new experiences and new peers to cherish. I joke that if I brought a Christmas gift for every person I consider important, I would have to work all year just to foot the bill, and if I made time to see each one of them in a cyclical fashion, one after another, I would only see each one of them once every five years, and I would have no time to work. So you see, deep connection is hard to maintain, and in time, people get left behind, friendships get neglected, and some folks take priority at times getting more attention than others. I wish that every person whose path entangled with mine for more than a moment or two would be listening right now to hear me say, I wish I could have you all with me all the time, living, working, playing, supporting each other as one big community. But for those I have unwittingly wandered off from, please know that I reflect fondly on our memories and ponder often in hopes your path through life has been smooth and when it wasn't, that you were able to become a butterfly on the other side of the bump or crater of a pothole in the road. Stepping back into our topic and focusing on those prioritized relationships, by the time you are comfortable in your adult years, many of us are settling into families of our own. We love them so much, they are worth every ounce of our time and attention, but that means fitting their schedules into your own. Having an already cramped schedule of your own, adding theirs, takes joy out of that time because it can make you feel pulled away and neglected yourself. I find practicing mindfulness in these moments keeps the joy in place and allows you to see that time with them as leisure because you are doing something with someone you love, even if the activity isn't your cup of tea per se. On the other hand, Many people say that it is their time to disengage and fall into a wormhole of online social interaction and A-side displays of their friends' lives that has our eyes glued to our phones and absent from the moment. All right, I think you get the point that being mindful, resting, and taking time for yourself is important. But how can you shine light on ways the average Joe can make a change for the better? First, don't impose yourself on others, but collaborate with them and be understanding of the fact that their schedule is just as busy as yours. Make the effort to reach out, 
even for a minute, to those you care about, despite whether they are finding time for you or not. Use the social platforms to show all of your sides, so when you need support, those who care about you or have wandered off know it's time to reach back into your life and that life is real for you as well. Keep your opinions your own by saying things like, this is how I do things, but I get that I'm not you, just giving you some food for thought, instead of saying you should do things the way I think is best. Let people wave their unique weird flags high and proud without judgment. They are not harming you, they are just making the most out of their limited leisure time. Join them or move along your own merry way. Let people you wander away from know occasionally that you cherish those memories still and wish them their own safe journeys. Now, the most important thing you can do is find the joy in your productivity. Take care of yourself and balance in as much pleasure as you can to your granted leisure time so you can live as an example to others. As I leave you to think on this topic, I challenge you to think about this mindfulness exercise until then as well. Make a list of all the things you do in your life, placing each item in a category of productivity, self-care, and leisure. Make the three categories overlapping circles with things that are more important or that suit in more than one category in the overlap, placing the things that you do most closer to the center and the things that you do least closest to the edge. Consider how your schedule works, how the you aspect is limited or not, and whether you currently feel happy overall, inclusive of the emotional waves life takes us through. Don't try to change it now. We'll get to that when we plan how to live mindfully joyous. I will close the conversation by drawing another card from the Positive Attitude Zone, or PAS cards for short. This question will be the opening question for the next episode. The card drawn is the color purple for relationships, and the question is, how does your family make you feel special? We will get to that next week, but in the meantime, you can get your PAS cards at www.graduatethrivers.com. That's spelled capital G, small r-a-d, capital U, small i-t, capital T, small h-r-i-v-e-r-s dot com. Stay wonderful, wholesome, happy, and open-minded, and natural, of course, and smile as much as you can. Take care until we talk again. This has been Heidi Hardy on a Life for Change podcast.